it, it's amazing, you know, you have these massive glowing pieces of steel and there's a little guy in front of them, you know. These people are real heroes, you know. They never get talked about. They're, but these are the people that make our whole society work. And I feel passionately about them. It's, um, it's a very important thing to me. Welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast, where I uncover the thoughts of some of the best photographers in the world. I'm your host, Graham Dargie, coming to you from Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. I feel like I say this every week at the moment, but today's guest is one of my favourite photographers, Monty Rakusen, who specialises in shooting heavy industry, things like steel mills, nuclear power stations, coal mines, airplane factories and other amazing places. We'll talk to Monty in a minute, but first, how's things? Pretty good here. I had a little photography job last week for a company north of Aberdeen up in Peterhead. Uh, that was great. Some PR shots, team shots, welders, things like that. And uh, at the end of last week, we had a few days away in Glasgow as a family, which was great. Um, so we did loads of stuff, museums, science center, uh, going out for brunch, but probably my favorite bits revolved around roller skating. Um, we went to a really cool little roller skating shop called Fifth Blocker and a roller disco called Roller Stop with my daughter. So good times all around and definitely feeling refreshed. How about you? What have you been up to? Um, I love it when listeners reach out. Just the other day, I got a comment from Andy Wayne on Instagram, who's a brilliant wildlife photographer. So I really appreciate those kind of interactions and seeing listeners photography as well. So you can find me on Instagram at Viewfinders Podcast and also check out the Viewfinders website to find all the previous episodes. And if you join the Viewfinders newsletter, you'll even get a copy of my ebook, Three Steps to Better Photographs. Okay, on to this week's episode. Monty Rakusen specializes in photographing industry, engineering, science and energy creating unique images that really stand out. Monty works collaboratively with clients and syndicates his pictures through image libraries like ImageSource and Getty. He's created a library of over 12,000 images of the absolute highest quality, which are used in a variety of ways. You've probably seen some of Monty's pictures somewhere. Commercial and industrial photography has been a big part of my career and I've always looked up to Monty's work, which is so immaculate, technically spot on, but always retains a warmth and personality that really connects the viewer and humanizes some big ideas. When you look for inspiration, you look at the best and there's nobody better at this than Monty. We talk about Monty's career, how it's changed over the years, how he builds pictures, his editing workflow, and much, much more. Before we start, I want to apologize for the sound quality on this episode, especially the second half. Uh, it's just a tech problem. It was my fault, uh, but I've done the best I can to clean it up. So I hope you can bear with it. Um, stick with it, and you're going to hear the thoughts of a hugely experienced photographer who's just the best at what he does. Here's my conversation with Monty Rakusen. Hi, Monty. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very honoured to be here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I've been asking you to do it for a long time. <laughs> the reason, you know, I've been so keen to have you on, for me, as a working commercial photographer, I so admire your work. It's you're just so good at creating those images that communicate industry, technology, uh ingenuity, uh, inventiveness, you know, the scale of the industry as well, aspiration, expertise, and craftsmanship, but always, always with humanity and empathy in the heart of the image. Thank you. Yeah, I think it really takes the work to the, to the next level. So technically, it's very, very good, clean and tidy. But yeah, it's the humanity that I think that really takes it over the top. So I'm really excited to talk with that about you, touch on a couple of projects and find out how you do it. But um, first, I, I always like to ask people, what were the, your first memories or experiences with photography? How did you get into this in the first place? Uh, well, my first memory was finding my brother's darkroom kit in the cellar uh, and the wonder of processing film and uh, and printing. Uh, but I, I never really got interested in photography until I was at art college, uh, at Liverpool College of Art, um, when um, 
Uh, well, I, I didn't feel that photography really was an art form. And I kind of looked down on it. And I did uh, illustration and okay. I was using photography to shoot the bits that went into illustration. And I was walking along the street in Liverpool and I came across a burning, um, uh, a burning end of, end of terrace shop <laughs> and the fire brigade were there. And it just looked really cool. And I, and I was so excited that I, I walked into the burning shop. I, mean, I can still remember today uh, the crackling timbers above my head. And uh, the firemen, of course, big Liverpudley and Burley guys, they all started shouting at me. And, and I took these amazing pictures and then I got the bug. Okay, okay. That's got to be a direct line from that to some of your uh, metal work pictures. <laughs> the sparks, the more sparks you give me, the happier I am, yes. <laughs> so oh, that's an amazing story. And so that was you kind of hooked in once you saw it? Yeah, it was, it was it was a difficult transition from illustration to photography. Uh, Liverpool didn't have a photography course and they threatened to throw me out. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I explained to them that they taught me to paint with a mop, with a, a burnt matchstick, and what was the difference between that and the camera. And, uh, and then, well, yeah, they let me carry on, but uh, I had to do life drawing every Tuesday evening. Okay. Uh, no, but I'm still not very good at life drawing. <laughs> so I, I just was in an art gallery in Edinburgh a while ago, and there was a David Bailey show on, and I wanted to go in and see that. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's really good. Obviously, what he does is is what he does. But when you go past the the paintings, I, it's just almost embarrassing to to be a photographer when you see how people can can paint or or draw. Um, so, but you don't feel like photography is lesser than than illustration. No, not anymore. No, not at all. No. Mm -hmm. So okay. So from there, from college. Where did you go after that? Did you go straight into working as a photographer? Uh, well, I, I took some, I got the John Moore scholarship. Um, I got a good degree. And I took a year out and I traveled to Saudi Arabia by truck okay, uh, wow. doing, a, doing a documentary, which was a complete failure. I learned more about changing truck tires and <laughs> finding bread and speaking Turkish than uh, than, uh, than photography. Um, and I really felt that I had to earn a living when I came back. I, I'd worked very hard uh, during my degree and it had kind of worn me out. And I had a very good friend and he wanted to set up a design studio and he wanted me to be the photographer. And so we came to Leeds and we set up a tiny little studio and uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, and it went on for about two years. Uh, and then my friend, basically, he couldn't handle it. He didn't enjoy it. And I have to say, I didn't really enjoy it very much myself. And um, I met two well-known photographers, uh, Derry Brabs and um, Bob Stone. And they were advertising photographers. And they asked me to be a studio assistant. So I closed down my business and I went to work as a studio assistant. And that's where I really learned what I was doing. You know, I learned to shoot on 5.4. I learned to use flash. I learned how a, a proper photographic studio works. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. It sounds interesting. I just I always feel people who have had that experience must have, must learn so much. Um, so that what kind of work were they producing in those studios? Uh, well, we did pretty horrible work, really. We did uh, Christmas hampers. Uh, we did catalogs. We did furniture. Okay. Uh, we just, you know, did, it was nothing very artistic at all. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it was hard for me to, you know, to do it. Eventually I was made redundant uh, because of the recession that came. And I set up by myself. Okay. So I was fortunate I had a house where I had some old buildings and I did the buildings up and then I made my own studio where I did exactly the same thing, I have to say. Okay. Uh, more Christmas hampers. And I remember the client being really cross with me because uh, I would say, well, why don't we do it in a more interesting way? And he would say, well, 
No, they just want to count the bloody tins. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did that for a long time. Um, I wish I hadn't, but that's mm -hmm. what I did. Yeah, but that's that's the job, isn't it? I mean, it's not the job to do it more interesting on that one. So what looking back then from this sort of end of your career, what can you feel like you really learned there that carries through with you? Oh, well, it's the discipline. It's discipline of shooting a large format film, um, you know, correct lighting. It's, it's just the way that you have to do it. It has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And I still use that discipline today. And, um, you know, I work with some good assistants and, and I expect them to have that same discipline, which generally they do. It's really good. And I think they get that from me, you know, that mm -hmm. it's all very well um, doing these really interesting jobs that I do, but they've got to be perfectly done. Yeah. So, and yes, that sensibility for sure comes with the large format film work because it, you have to be... I guess very meticulous before you even think about pressing the button. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, and you don't have that many choices. You know, you are chances. Um, you know, I remember shooting in a car factory on five four film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I'd get up at five in the morning and load you know hundred sheets of film with and transparency as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I was shooting in a car factory uh, along the line. And everyone had to wear the correct overalls and everything. The art director was behind me. And um, and occasionally, uh, one guy would keep popping out wearing like a Dennis the Menace outfit, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'd say, you know, I'm always very polite. And I said, you know, please, you know, keep out of the way. If you haven't got the correct uniform on, then uh, just keep out of the way. And uh, then he would pop out again and I'd, I'd shoot a sheet of film and that was ruined. Mm. And I knew I only had three sheets of film available for this shot. And then I'd shoot my second sheet of film and there he was again. And, um, and I shot my third sheet and there he was again. And so I picked up the dark slide and I threw it at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And so when you, um, when you're working in, in that time, before digital, you're using light meters, uh, presumably? No, like, I, I never used a light meter. Okay, so you just had a feel for the, it's going to be F whatever, or? Well, I, you know, I was spending £18,000 a year on film and Polaroid. Okay. So I knew what I was, what got, I was looking okay. at. And, um, of course, I had Polaroid, so, uh, but I was only ever allowed three Polaroids per shot. Mm -hmm. After that, I was paying for it. Client okay. would pay for three, three sheets of film. That was it. And uh, so you had to be very accurate. You had to know what you were doing. Mm -hmm. So, and you still work in that way, more or less, with those parameters, or a little bit more relaxed now? Yeah, a bit more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. I don't shoot a great deal. I mean, on a good day, I might shoot six hundred frames. Okay. So it's not not massive. Yeah, and then from that frame count, how many images are you really getting out of that? I would I would expect to shoot, uh, come away with 25 to 30 pictures from a day's shoot. Mm -hmm. In the old days, shooting on 5.4, I remember being in a meeting with a client and the client said, you know, how many pictures are you going to shoot for us a day? And I said, six. Mm -hmm. And I got the job. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, today you can shoot a lot more. I mean, I always shoot tethered, so it's a bit like using a Polaroid. Mm -hmm. um, so it has that accuracy, and I'm very aware of what I'm doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. So when you get set up and you're going to set up for a shot, you now have a process of kind of putting things together gradually in the shot? So oh, yes, I'll build pictures. It's not yeah. about taking pictures, it's building yeah. them. Uh, so I'll, I mean, I often do rickies before a shoot, so I'll know what I'm looking at. I mean, often clients will pay for me to go on a recce. Uh, I do have to argue the case quite a lot. Um, but, um, uh, but you know, you, you do need to plan a shoot. I will do pre-visualization, so I'll sit down for a couple of hours and visualize the whole shoot and how I want the pictures to be. It never works out, but, mm -hmm. um, but it gives me a starting point.
a lot of your work is for picture libraries and I don't know if most people really know what what that is could you give me an overview of of that sort of business well the way it started was that um in the 2008 crash all my work disappeared because i was doing mainly annual reports by that time okay and i was headhunted by um a photo library called Cultura, mm-hmm. a really nice guy uh, called ashley johar Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I could do the industrial photography that I had been doing for my clients uh, for the library, because there wasn't a lot of that kind of work. And so I made a commitment to to do that. Uh, we're now thirteen thousand pictures in. Mm-hmm. Um, so these pictures um, they're done as a collaboration with whoever it may be an engineering company, steelworks, uh, wind farm, whatever. And uh, you have to have um, a legal property re- release from the client. Um, you do it, I do it completely free for them. Sometimes we do a mix of commission and library, but generally these people that we work with, they just get free pictures mm-hmm. and they can use them within their own company. So for that purpose. And then the pictures are, you know, they're checked for content, they're checked for for quality and logos. So all logos have to be removed. And then they're syndicated out to various other libraries. So they go to Getty and Shutterstock and all the, the big libraries. And then people buy them. Um, a few years ago, people would buy them for a lot of money. Nowadays, of course, they don't pay as much. They've developed um, they've developed new business models, which are not quite as favourable for photographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did become um, probably the world's top-selling industrial photographer mm-hmm. at one point. Uh, it's, it's still a good living for me because I have a big collection. Mm-hmm. I am still shooting library work. And uh, my, my work is now syndicated by Image Source, and uh, we're yeah we're still continuing, but we don't spend a huge amount of money on that. Uh, there is a spin-off because often advertising agencies are buying my pictures, and then they find that they're buying just this one photographer's pictures, mm-hmm. and um, and so they say, well, who is this photographer? And then they get in touch with me, and then they commission me. So it's a huge spin-off. Um, so it's like a massive advert, really, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my work has done well because it is specialist content. That's the thing. Yeah, it's there was a couple of things I was going to pick up there. It, it is I can't imagine there are many people doing exactly what you do with the type of industries that you're doing. So it does make you a, a real specialist. And this this style of the work is quite distinct as well. Like I can. I've been following your work for a long time, but I can spot your picture when it comes up somewhere. Um, and, and so I can imagine how, yeah, people start to think, oh, who is this guy that we're always buying the pictures from? I can understand that. Um, so if you're going in for a, a library shoot, then it's a collaboration between yourself, the the client who's, or the premises that you're, the business that you're going in to shoot. And then is the, library or is there an art director from the library involved as well do you shooting to the library's needs as well as the the client's needs if you see what i mean nowadays i just do it for myself okay uh, i mean i do have an art director assigned to me and she's really good um but she's involved with other things and mm-hmm. they know that i am very experienced at what i do so it's not necessary let me ask about the light industry section of your website okay because um this for me it's like your signature kind of style um let's define what light industry is for people before we get into that well light light industry is usually uh, small engineering works um it's not it's just not heavy industry uh, there are not as many sparks and not so much fire um it's the only way i can determine it really Okay, so you've got people 
in uh, workshops, manufacturing, fabricating things, hands-on yes. with hand handleable sized things, more or less, I guess. Um, these I work in these places frequently, and they're often the one. Maybe it's just the ones I go to, but they're untidy, they're grubby, and which is understandable for the kind of work it is. But your pictures manage to make them look so neat and clean and uncluttered. And it doesn't seem to be anything there that doesn't need to be there. Usually there's all kinds of stuff going around in the background. Um, how do you start with that? I mean, if you're going into a job, do you start your, yourself with that pre-visualized shot list that you have? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go and visit a small company. Um, maybe they make, um, I don't know, vibratory cleaning equipment or something. Um, and, uh, and I'll go and have a look around and I'll ask them to show me what they do, how it works, all that kind of thing. And, um, and then I'll start, I'll do some reference pictures, then I'll start pre-visualizing it. I'll go there and, you know, I'll go back to do the shoot and then I'll, uh, I'll use my lights really mainly. Mm -hmm. It's mainly about light. And it's about depth of field, so a lot of my shots are very shallow focus. And they're concentrating on the activity mm -hmm. rather than the background. So I won't, I won't produce any pictures that have got dark, gloomy factories. It's not mm -hmm. how you want to see industry. Uh, I'll do whatever is necessary to stop that happening. So I've noticed that uh, sometimes you'll have a light shooting up into the corner or up into the ceiling in the background. It just Is that just to brighten that up and take away that grimy feel yes absolutely that's really what it's doing okay it's um I, m nobody would notice it i don't think other than a photographer yes but it's, it's it's a really good way of doing it it can just take away you know the griminess on the wall or, or whatever okay so we kind of touched on it before but the rate of shooting that you do like so you're shooting say 20 25 images a day um, that is kind of a lot of work, I think, to and to be quite meticulous about it as well. You must be in a pretty good flow of, I mean, obviously you're very experienced, but do you find that you get into the flow of, of creating your pictures quite easily? Oh, yes. Um, after I've done my first shot of the day, away we go. You know, it's, um, I, I do have a certain way of looking at uh, my shoots. Uh, it's like a like a dream, really. Uh, I have the camera in my hands, and all I'm focused on is what's in front of me and what's coming next. Uh, I quite often find I forget people's names. Mm. It's very difficult working with models because I'm busily working with my visual senses. And so do you have assistants uh, with you? What other crew come with you on a shoot? Always an assistant. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes an art director, and that's about it. Okay, I was just because I was talking to a food photographer the other day, and he's working at kind of the advertising kind of higher end of things. And the way that he described his work was he just kind of presses the button more or less. Um, so he's got, you know, Digitex and assistants and stylists and everything. So I was wondering how that shakes down for you, because when I'm in a location like the ones we we're talking about, it's just me, you know. Um, so you're, you're a bit scrambled sometimes. So I just wonder how you if, keep it efficient for your own train of thought. Uh, it is a, it's really important for me to have a, a good assistant. Mm -hmm. um, I bounce ideas off him or her all the time. I, I'm just, it's magic. It's something that's going on in my head. It's just, I'm, I'm on a roll, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm in command. I mean, I very rarely let the client uh, change what I'm intending to do. Okay, that must be a great position to be in. Being a specialist, I guess, allows you to have that kind of stature in the shoot, I, I would imagine. Yes, yes, absolutely. There are certain things that I will, you know, I, I will say no to a client. It's not a good idea. Sometimes they're insistent and we'll do it. And then he'll look at the laptop and he'll say, yeah, you were right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that process then of, of shooting tethered, it's a, it's a good, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but it's a really good way to kind of slow things down, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So... I really liked what you said earlier about uh, building pictures. I thought that is such a great way of saying it. So what's the first block in that 
in that building then if you are you framing um on the process are you thinking where the person's going to be how do you get started i think that's what i'm getting at on building a picture so i will walk around and i'll see something and then i'll look at it and think well how can i improve this so i'm i'm working on composition first of all and then i'll introduce people and then they start to interact with whatever process is going on mm -hmm. um that's all i can say really about that it's mm -hmm. it's a difficult thing it's something that goes on in my mind and so would you have the camera in hand to do that initial kind of finding where you're going to be and then lock it down yeah sometimes i'll just wave the camera about a bit have a good look and then i'll pop it on the tripod and that fixes me that it's not about holding the camera still mm -hmm. it's about fixing the shot and sometimes i'll shoot different elements so i might shoot the people in different places or if the process a big piece of molten steel is coming through i'll shoot that so that then I can stitch it in later. Because quite often my pictures may be made up of several different pictures. Okay, so you, you've just brought that up about the molten steel. I, I was really keen to ask you about that project uh, because I don't know if it's one shoot or if you do this, maybe you do this every weekend, but there's a, in the heavy industry section, it's like a metal works with boring metal, lots of molten metal. I was really interested in that project. Can you give us an overview or set the scene for what I'm talking about there? Well, I wanted to illustrate steelworks. I wanted to illustrate pouring molds. Um, they have a, a press. Um, I don't know, it's a thousand pound, thousand ton press, which uh, then aligns the molecules of the steel. It makes it stronger. They make all sorts of massive bits of steel. Um, and it's very attractive. Anything with, uh, you know, red metal, glowing metal, is, is always looks good. It's very difficult to photograph and it's very dangerous. I tend to, um, you know, I wear protective gear and everything. I wouldn't let my team uh, get into a dangerous situation. Um, but I do tend to get quite close to things. I have actually been on fire. Um, uh, but I find it all fascinating what people do uh, and I try and include people in the pictures as well it, it's amazing you know you have these massive glowing pieces of steel and there's a little guy in front of them you know and, it, and, it, and it's all about their skills um, you know these things wouldn't happen without people understanding what they're doing and these people are real heroes you know um, they they never get talked about they're, but these are the people that make our whole society work and I feel passionately about them. It's um, it's a very important thing to me. Yeah, I was doing a job a few weeks ago with uh, guys. They sell sewage pumps and they install right. sewage pumps. Heroes, you know. I mean, like you said, so I was out. Um, I photographed the headshots uh, in the warehouse kind of thing, and then I went out to site with a couple of the guys. I don't know if it's just a local thing or they were kind of embarrassed about what they do and, you know, kind of self-deprecating about it. And, you know, it's just pumping poo kind of thing. And I was going, it's just like I'm watching them drop the pump down into this site that they've built with the electronics cabinet over there. And I'm like, this is amazing work. And it's you guys are heroes because yes. if this stuff goes wrong. What am I going to do about it? We need people like you. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I was really interested that they, they didn't really rate it themselves, you know. I was wondering how the approach is different because with the light industry, you can have a lot of control over that environment. Yes. Metalworks kind of thing, not so much, I can imagine. So is it a different way of going at it? Well, when I was at art college, I did lots of documentaries. So I would pack my camera up and I would go off to Liverpool and get on a boat and go around the Summer Isles or I'd go down to Jaywick and do about a little shanty town or, you know, all sorts of interesting things. And, and then that experience comes into play when you get into a steelworks because you can't shoot tethered. You can't use flash. You can't, you can use your tripod, I suppose, some of the time, but mostly it's documentary. And, um, 
it would have been much harder to have done on film, but nowadays with digital, there's a huge latitude in your files. And I've learned how to draw the best out of the files. So it is more part of my work is documentary, yeah, just straightforward. I guess over over the years you build different experiences and different skills, and it's just for deploying them at the right moments, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and you need to know when to shoot handheld without flash, just in a documentary style, and when to polish your pictures using loads of flash. Okay. I was quite interested to ask you about this job at Heathrow. I, maybe it was, uh, was it a job for Menzies or? Yes, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's work for Menzies, yeah. I, I have done, uh, done one at um, Manchester, which was a library project, and then commission, I've now done two shoots for Menzies at Heathrow. I've also worked for the Heathrow expansion project as well. But the recent, I mean, that was shot in November, the most recent work, uh, which meant going airside and uh, also portraiture, portrait pe people working under the aircraft, doing all the things that you never see when, when you're a passenger. Yeah. And those are the staff that you're photographing? Yeah, yeah. They're all real people. Okay. So that seems like a job that would have a lot of forms to fill in and a lot of... <laughs> You have to have special insurance. Um, Menzies did some of the work for me, um, but everybody is model released. I fortunately had a member of staff who came around and released everybody. But it is a problem if, if everything, you know, you, you do this great shot and then the person disappears because they've only got 45 minutes to turn the aircraft around uh, and you don't get that person released, that can never be used. It's a problem. Okay, so where is the blend on that job between the documentary and the, the setting things up, more staged kind of approach? So everything out on the tarmac uh, was shoot in a, shot in a documentary style, maybe just with a reflector. Uh, the weather was never very good, actually. Um, it's often very difficult. Uh, and then everything in... Um, uh, customer facing, which would be people taking your passport, checking in your luggage. It was shot mostly uh, into the laptop. Uh, we were given a whole aisle where nothing was going on. So you have to be very careful not to get mixed in with the public, uh, people tripping over things. Uh, and then some of it was shot in a hybrid way, which is uh, my assistant being a light stand and me shooting uh, just into a card and watching the back of the camera. So it's a mixture of those things. So you're actually working with those guys airside when they're, they're really turning a, a plane around. So yes. I guess they don't have time to hang about. You have to be quick. You don't maybe have the luxury of positioning uh, other vehicles and whatnot. To no, not at all. You, I mean, I did shoot quite a lot. There was a fair amount of wastage. Um, it's wasted because maybe it just doesn't look right or it's the wrong vehicle. And sometimes you've got competitors' vehicles in the shop. Quite a lot of shots were, were, were lost because of it. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting work. I've been able to go airside here to shoot some, a couple of helicopters taking off. And I just felt like there's, there's not much I can do here, do you know, other than stand here. I couldn't really move and take a picture of the helicopter. It was, I found it quite difficult. You can't control what's going on in front of you, but you can control what angle you're going to be taking the picture from. So it's, if you can't alter things that are going on out there in front, then you've got to alter what you're doing. And yet you still manage to have just really nice pictures. I mean, there's this one I'm looking at where you're, you're right in front of the front wheels of the plane and the, the fuselage is going right overhead and it's the two engines either side. Just next to that, there's, I don't know if they're loading the, services in an hour yes. but it's, just, it's artistically done and below that the one uh, with the, the walkway attaching to the plane they're all just spot on i mean for for not having the control that you would probably would like to have I, I think you've managed to find your way to really good results and and i also see in patterns so you know that interesting pictures are made up of blocks of things in certain places it's like a jigsaw that your brain enjoys looking at 
Um, and so I know that and when I'm looking through the camera, and it's very, very intense. I'm looking for those patterns. Let's uh, change directions a bit and talk about your camera gear, um, if you don't mind. So, we, I know you started uh, in, in the film days, of course, but nowadays, what's your sort of go-to camera and lens? Uh, so originally, uh, when I moved from film, I moved to Hasselblad. So I ended up with a 50 megapixel Hasselblad, um, which quite a lot of my library work was shot on. Uh, I then found that it was making my work a little bit clunky. And so I moved, I did quite a lot of testing. I wanted a 35 millimeter camera kit that looked like Hasselblad. It was impossible, but uh, eventually I ended up with Nikon D850, um, with um, the regular um, zoom lenses, uh, the usual three, and then a suite of Sigma lenses, uh, 35, uh, 50 and 85. And I also have a Nikon 20 because it's much smaller than uh, the Sigma 20. Um, and that gives me the look, the nearest look I can get to Hasselblad. How do you find the Sigma lenses? Oh, well, I love the Sigma lenses. They have a very different organic look to Nikon lenses. Nikon lenses are built for military, police, scientific, all those kind of usages. And they can be a bit too accurate for what I want to do. I, I want to give that certain softness to my pictures. And, and because it's a difficult environment that I'm working in, it's a hard environment. So when you use the Sigma lenses, they, they tend to inter interpret it in a different way. Okay, that's really interesting to hear uh, how, you, how you put it that way. And so when you're working tethered uh, to the computer, what software is, is, is landing in this? So I use Lightroom and I've used Lightroom since I started. Uh, I think it would be very difficult to get me to change to something else. Uh, I like Lightroom, it's very simple. Uh, nowadays it works very reliably. Uh, I don't have a problem, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I use Lightroom for that as well. Do you use, this is really nerdy, but um, what, do you use Tether Tools cables or? I do actually, yes, I do. I go through quite a lot of them um, and I modify them as well because I'm forever dropping the end and destroying it. So, yeah. so uh, one thing I found, you maybe you found this, but the, the attachment on the, the end of the cable that goes into the camera, like there's, there's little kind of hooks almost, they've worn down and then the cable just starts to fall out. So, so my D850, everyone says this, my D850 came with a special clip that stops your cable dropping out. And if you refer back to your camera manufacturer, you may find that they actually do have one. Um, but actually, my cameras uh, have just a short USB cable coming out of them, which stays in there permanently. So I'm never, I'm never unplugging and plugging on the camera. Okay, so you're not just wearing that thing down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great idea. So I'm just interested in the workflow of that. So that goes into the laptop, and then you take it back to the office, and you have to transfer it over, or yes. So it goes into my big machine, and it gets backed up, and all the usual things. Always three backups, um, and then I start working. So I'll make an edit. You know the usual kind of thing that photographers have to do. I hate doing edits. Absolutely hate it. So once my edit is done, uh, it goes to the client. They can choose their pictures. And, uh, and then it comes back to me and I start working on it. I do spend days, uh, quite, I mean, there's a job I'm working on at the moment where I'm processing out two frames of every shot. One frame is different from the other. And then I'll, uh, paste them over each other, uh, cut out the people. Uh, sometimes uh, I need a, a background. Say I'm doing a portrait of somebody, I need a background with loads of fire or something, uh, sparks and interesting things going on, which I can't get while I'm doing the portrait. Camera goes on the tripod, and then I'll shoot the portrait, then I'll shoot the background. And later, when in post-production, the two will be married together. 
isn't that fun? You enjoy that? I do very much. It's um, it takes me a lot of time, uh, but I have a purpose-built studio with a purpose-built digital darkroom and uh, in a lovely country environment. And um, so it's nice. It's a direct contrast to what I do when I'm shooting. Okay, okay. Just wondered if you have anything in your camera bag or your kit that you bought, you thought it was a good idea, but it's never seen the light of day. Well, I think it might be the 17 to 35 zoom, terrible, terrible lens. <laughs> which I've hardly ever used. Or is it 16 to 35? I can't remember. It's one of the, I've, I've had both, and they've both been horrible. So, um, yeah. So you would prefer, sorry, to get nerdy. I, I hate to talk about gear. I feel like a nerd, but would you use the 12 to 24 rather than the 17 to 35? I, I don't have a 12 to 24. It's too big for me. Uh, so I would go down as low as 20 millimeter. Um, this takes us to uh, a round I call Double Exposure. And I'm going to ask you about a picture that I'm really interested in. And I'd like to hear the story behind it because it looks like uh, a fun picture. And then I'll bounce it back to you to see if there's a particular thing that you remember from your photography journey or just a great experience you've had or a great photo. So there's one with, I don't know, something must be being poured there's a lot of, there's a dozen people or so around. Ah, yes. yes. And I'm, I'm interested to hear you talk about this one because I've got a feeling about it. But you know the t picture that I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Uh, this is pouring, uh, I think, a hundred ton um, mold, pouring into the mold. So uh, this was one of the very first Steelworks library shoots that I did. And uh, I had a female assistant with me, and we set up the camera early in the morning. And it was very cold and very, very dirty, and she was a bit frightened. And uh, they came with a massive um, uh, flask full of steel, I think about 20 tons of steel. And they started to pour it. And they're standing in the sparks, aren't they? They're, they're standing close to um, and it wasn't that interesting at the time, just one pouring. Um, and I was able to get my first exposure correct on the first pouring. But then I realized they were going to do another four pourings, five pourings. So the picture is actually a composite of about three pictures. And there were maybe 10 people in that shot. But actually, I think you see about 20 people. So they're composite as well. Um, and so I was able, after my first shot, I began to realize that it would be more interesting as a composite. And so I started to plan it. So the camera never moved all morning and we got colder and colder. And we, it, it was drizzling sort of dirt and, and rust and, and, and metal on us. Uh, it was quite safe where we were. Um, but it was a, not a great experience. And then when they finished the last pour and I knew I'd got my shot, they disappeared and I couldn't find the people which I needed to release. Uh, and so I was a bit horrified. They all went home because it was the end of their shift. And uh, so I went to see the chief exec and I said, well, I've got this great picture and I showed it on a laptop and he said, yes, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I said, but everyone's gone away. He said, oh, it's not a problem. And he took me to the canteen and he signed up 20 people because they all had their masks down, so we didn't know who was who. Yeah, yeah, but you, you still have to have the release for them even though you can't identify. Absolutely. Every human being, every part of the human being. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was. I had a feeling that was a composite. I, I don't know if I must have read that on your website or something. It's possible, yeah. We've talked. I've talked about it somewhere or other, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that, that's just so much of the fun process of what we do yes you're there and you're trying to get a picture and you think oh maybe i could do this and somehow you're drawing on other experiences from before and pouring it into that moment it's so much fun for me um i, I really I like that shot anyway but adding that you've had a bit of fun with it I, I, it makes it even better for me well the possibilities are endless you can make anything okay 
Let me ask you, Monty, is there a particular picture that stands out of your many, many thousands or an experience, anything that stands out as a, as a great story? Probably the coal mine, uh, the deep coal mine. Uh, I actually went down twice. I originally did a commission shoot for UK Coal, and um, they asked me, would I go down the coal mine? And of course, uh, I was, my wife didn't want me to go. Uh, and I was just a bit nervous. There are quite a lot of shots where I'd be really nervous about doing something. Uh, but I said, okay. And so uh, we arrived at the coal mine. It's Kellingley Pits, long closed now. And uh, we had to get changed into special gear. Uh, and that means underwear. Uh, so there it was. Uh, getting changed into uh, like a vest and underpants in blue British coal uh, logos. And uh, I realized, you know, maybe I'm a miner now. Uh, we put our gear on. We had to have training in a respirator and uh, use your light and everything. And um, and then we went down in the lift with the rest of the miners. And it's 8,000 feet underground. And it's 90 degrees underground. It blows a gale because they have to pump air round the coal face so that the methane doesn't come back into the mine. It's really, really scary. I don't know how they ever did it. 8,000 feet is a long way. And you can feel your ears popping. And, and you get on a train and you go for 45 minutes underground. Um, and then you get to the coal face and they had the most incredible coal face that was nice and straight. It's one of the best ones in the country. And this machine was cutting into the coal, uh, great whirling cogs and so forth. Uh, and then they had pit props, um, uh, hydraulic pit props uh, that moved. They walked forwards as the machine walked forwards. And then they dropped the roof behind them. So all the time you could hear the crashing of rock. It was um, just incredible to do. Mm. So, yeah, you were apprehensive about that. It's, I mean, is it safe? It's as safe as it could be. Yeah, it was. It was pretty safe, absolutely. I would never do anything that was reckless. Photography-wise, how hard is it to work there? Uh, it was really difficult because I had a camera, and that was a very dangerous thing down a coal mine. Uh, and so we had to take a circuitous route round the mine to actually get to the coal face. So we were always downwind, upwind of, uh, of the methane. Uh, and that really restricted us to one place only. The camera stayed in a penny box all the time until I needed it. We had some lights, some LED lights, which lived in big clear plastic bags and were gaffer taped up so there was no air could get into them. And uh, my assistant actually held the light uh, just on, to the left of the shot. Um, and yeah, it was very, very hard to do. I just shot into the card and hoped for the best and it was fine. Mm -hmm. So were you there to get that one shot or were you able to shoot a bit? Yeah, I shot some portraits of miners and uh, some machinery, but there wasn't really much else to do. Um, the miners were not very happy with me because I made them late to come off shift. But that's another story. Well, it's, it's amazing. I just, for me, um, photography has brought me to these great experiences like being on ships that you were yes. known, or if you're in a dry dock, I don't know if you've ever been in a dry dock. Yeah, under, underneath the oil tanker with the, with the with the propellers, absolutely. It's amazing. It's just amazing places that we could have never would have found ourselves. Well, that's the wonder of it. I mean, it, you know, I was always a bit of an explorer. I was always into going doing interesting things, and, and that's how I spent the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Let's bring it to the quick fire round. This round is called Motor Drive. It's just a few quick fire questions to bring us to the end. Here goes wide angle or telephoto? Wide angle, but only down to 35 millimeter. <laughs> okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt? 
I'm sorry to say it's an expensive lens cloth. In fact, every single lens I have has its own lens cloth. Oh, wow. Okay. That is organized. So you wouldn't be in buying into my idea of a shirt with a lens cloth material on the corner. That would be a good idea. Yes. Yes. But you would need to a different shirt or a different part of the shirt for each lens. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> um, if you use emojis, what's your favorite emoji? Oh, it's going to be a heart. Okay. What's a weird thing I can find in your camera bag? Okay. In my flash box, uh, I have um, a little rubber that you, that model railway people use to clean the tracks. And this is a really useful piece of kit for cleaning the contacts of your flash packs. Okay. Uh, where can I find this? Because I feel like I want to get one. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. If you just, oh, just Google um, model railway track cleaning rubber. That'll do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm having that problem at the moment. My contacts in my hot shoe are a bit grubby. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, is there a photographer that... Is uh, someone you really look up to or someone that you think we should all know about? Yeah, um, Eugene Meatyard. Okay. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Well, that's tragic, really. Uh, he came from Kentucky and he took the most interesting and amazing pictures, mostly with children wearing masks. Okay. So what kind of era are we? 60s, I think. 60s. Okay. Okay. Well, look that up and I'll put that in the show notes for everyone to check out. Okay. Yeah. Last one. When do you feel at peace with the universe? Okay. So I have two donkeys and sometimes on a, on a stormy night, uh, and there's a weather vane on their stable. And on a stormy night, the weather vane goes around and around, moves down, makes squeaking noise. And uh, I love to sit in the straw in the stable and listen to the noises. That's cool. So that's a, just a peaceful place that you can be? Yes. Uh, I've had donkeys for a long time. I'm very fortunate to have enough land to have donkeys. Uh, someone in the pub actually farmed them up on me. Um, but uh, nowadays we foster them for the donkey sanctuary. Uh, so we don't actually own the donkeys. We just look after them. Uh, we have donkeys because they are just amazing creatures. Mm -hmm. And do they take a, a bit of looking after, or are they quite? Yeah, they do take quite more more looking after than you might think. Yes, and I can see them from my studio window, and sometimes they they bray at me, and uh, yeah, they're very special creatures. Great, this is so awesome. Um, okay, I'm going to thank you for your time, Monty. Oh no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, no, you're welcome. I hope everyone checks out the work and can appreciate because it, it, you kind of make it look easy, but I know that it's not as easy as it looks to just get things just so and add the humanity that you do. So uh, it's, I'm, I'm such a fan of your work and I'm really, really grateful for your time today. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Follow Monty on Instagram and check out his website. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, then check out my conversations with Craig Fraser and Scott Chetinho. That's all for now. Take care, enjoy your photography, and I'll see you out there. <laughs>